0: Well, thank you for that. I think that's the most popular Christian hymn in the world, but it's beautiful every time it's sung, uh, both with the melody as well as the words. I had an advantage hearing it from up there. Only one of those ladies was miked, but the other one was actually singing harmony with her. So I got to hear a duet And uh, it was uh, a beautiful uh, harmony, and it does uh, prepare our hearts uh, for this uh, message uh, this morning. Uh, You know, I gave another message earlier this morning, and I must admit, last night when I figured out what time I was going to give the message, and then I looked at what time sunup was, you know, I like to run four miles in the morning. And uh, I realized I was going to have to get here at the time that sun-up occurred, and then seeing all the new snow on the ground, I thought, is anyone going to be there this morning? Uh, If not, maybe I'll just go exercise, but just in case there were people coming, I thought I better not do that and better come to the service. Uh, And I was, uh, so many of you already got uh, part one, and probably uh, one of the most you know, um, attending worship on a Sabbath is always a great experience, but, uh, many of you are now having the opportunity of attending two worship service on a Sabbath and, uh, hopefully you'll be double blessed. It's not going to be the same uh, message. And, uh, by the way, the reason why I am here, I should mention is due to the seminary at Andrews, uh, university. In fact, is, um, is Yuri Moskala here. He was going to try to make it. He had responsibilities today, but uh, I don't see Yuri here. But he is the head of the seminary and has been so for many years at Andrews. But uh, he and I worked together in Czechoslovakia uh, many years ago, and he translated uh, for me into the Czech language. And we went to many universities and really uh, did Uh, The the entire country seemed to be turned upside down as a result of the health message there. And uh, so he's invited me back to Andrews to give uh, some of those messages to the seminarians. But he did tell me this. And uh, he says, you know, invite um, everybody. We can hold as many as we can hold. So anybody who wants to come tomorrow, I think it's between 1 and 6 p.m. Those will also be completely different messages. There are 90 that are taking it as part of a colloquium in the seminary. So it's part of their um, education. Uh, But the rest uh, can be educated without necessarily having to take a test over it. Uh, And uh, so you might want to come with your notepads there. But that's going to be held actually in the seminary um, chapel um, tomorrow. And then this afternoon we'll also be giving different messages yet on um, nutrition in the brain in regards to IQ and memory and how to preserve our memories and avoid what is now the number six killer uh, in this country, rapidly rising Alzheimer's disease. Why is it increasing? Um, What's going on um, with that? And so with that introduction, just a few um, uh, acknowledgements as well. Uh, I mentioned this morning, I grew up in Michigan. Uh, grew up in the Detroit area, and so it was very much feeling like home, uh, with the snow and the cold weather, and having to shovel the snow uh, it, through the uh, driveway uh, this morning. My father used to be uh, invigorated, and of course, we—he got us invigorated by the cold air. And uh, actually, I, it was—it re- was a reminder of being at home. I'm actually staying at Yuri Moskola's house, and he also gets invigorated by the cold air, and he likes to. Open up his uh, window with all that cold air at night uh, coming in, same way my father did. And so uh, he talks about the wonderful advantages of living in the North. Uh, not everybody sees it that way, I understand, uh, but uh, many do, uh, particularly those that have grown up here and have learned to be invigorated by it. But uh, all of us, um, you know, there were five um, children that uh, my mother and father had uh... three girls and two boys i was number five in the family but number three in the family is the only one who stayed in michigan and then she came to western michigan and she's here today and that's uh... diane uh... here in the front so it's gr- very great to have my sister uh... here uh, and uh... not uh, seen her uh... for a while and got a great chance to uh... see her earlier today and we'll be spending some more time um, together but, uh, you know, God has created the family. We're going to be talking about that uh, as a special um, way of exhibiting his own character. And that comes into um, our message uh, today. So I don't know if it's up on the screen, but it's um, loving others in emotional intelligence. This morning we talked about loving God in emotional intelligence. And uh, we did review who is God. The Bible tells us it's not just what God does, it's who he is. God is love. And the transcript of his character of love is his law. His law actually teaches us how to love. The first four laws teach us about love to God. And the final six about loving others. The psalmist said, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he what? Meditate Meditate day and night. And so this morning we meditated upon the first four laws and how they related to emotional intelligence. And of course science, we gave a lot of scientific background. We could have given actually a whole lot more but a lot of scientific background of how the principles behind those laws actually improve our emotional health. And uh, now we're going to be dealing with the final six. Emotional intelligence is our ability to understand our emotions and the emotions of others and respond to those emotions in a healthy way. And one of the things that has been shown to improve emotional intelligence is called cognitive behavioral therapy Uh, the, the ABCs of cognitive behavioral therapy the A is the activating event and then we have the belief and then we end up with the emotional consequence which can then turn into a behavioral consequence traditional psychotherapy ignores the B it goes straight from A to C thinking which is believing we have little or no ability to influence our feelings and that events and situations directly cause our emotions and behavior. That actually is not true. Those things can have a role to play, but it's our thoughts about those events and whether those thoughts are accurate or not that actually leads to mental distress or to being calm under distress, which is what the C is about. And research is documented in numerous studies that negative thoughts which cause emotional turmoil nearly always contain what? Gross distortions. The thoughts on the surface appear valid but you will learn that they are irrational or just plain wrong. And what is it that's a major cause of suffering? Twisted thinking. A major cause of suffering. So, interestingly, secular science has revealed to us there are ten major ways that human beings have a tendency to think in distorted, irrational manner. And they give a lot of evidence for that. But they haven't gone to the next step to realize that the answers to those ten distortions are found in the principles behind the ten laws that God wrote with his own finger. And today, you are going to see evidence about that. Now, you know, it's kind of interesting to me. God gave us what I call 10 executive limitations. I mentioned this morning Weimar Institute, where I'm president of. By the way, the Lord is really br- blessing Weimar. Uh, we're expanding our programs. We have a nursing Um, School. We have a healthcare administration track, business uh, program, great uh, pre-med program, theology education, and psychology. Um, Now, uh, with all of the health, it's the the underlying um, vision of Weimar is to heal a hurting world. So anything that has to do about health and healing. Uh, And uh, this year, actually next month, we had the site reviewers come in October. Uh, but um, they have already revealed to us um, their recommendations. And if their reviewers review them and believe that they reviewed our institution accurately, uh, we will be the first self-supporting organization with no government funds and no church subsidy to get the level of accreditation that Stanford University has in the state of California. Uh, and so uh, this um, there's some great things happening at Weimar with the research and all of those types of things. But one of the reasons why Weimar improved significantly is that we, our, our board uh, uh, about nine years ago, eight years ago, enacted a policy governance model that gives management limitations. They can do anything they want to do to further the mission of Weimar without even checking with the board as long as they don't violate the executive limitations. And God has only given us 10 limitations, 10 limitations. Everything else we actually can do. And this is very freeing uh, when we look at it in that way. It actually frees management, by the way, the policy governance model is a model that really models the Ten Commandments, but it was enacted by secular business. It's been shown to be the model that will launch an organization to exponential success better than any other model. And that's, uh, I think, one of the reasons is because it does model those Ten Commandments as far as executive limitations. So we looked at the limitations of the first four, but we looked at the principles behind them this morning, and I think that's probably still going to be up. I don't know if it'll be up. I know it was live uh, live streamed, but you might be able to take advantage of that later on. But the Fifth Commandment was read just a few minutes ago and what does it say honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee what's the principle behind that I I tried to think myself of 10 words the 10 word principles that go behind these commandments And, you know, there's a lot of words I could have chosen. But what I think God is trying to reveal to us in our human relations and loving each other, the one word principle I chose is not a word that's well-honored in today's political climate, necessarily. But it is one that God clearly puts as a foundational principle of his government and that is authority authority tells us something you know the mother and father has authority in the family it tells us not everyone is equal in the family now There's a new morality that has come up in this world that actually causes a lot of emotional distress. In fact, there are many who put this principle above any of the Ten Commandments. And they stick it up there as number one, even though this word isn't even in the Ten Commandments. And the word that is the morality of the age is equality equality is not in the Ten Commandments and we need to be careful in regards to this equality thing by the way uh, where did the equality movement come from? How, where Where in history do we have to go back in regards to the equality movement? Well, uh, some have mentioned the, uh, I heard the feminist movement. No, it's long before that. The World War, one of the World Wars. No, it was before that as well. French Revolution. Yeah, equality was part of that too, but it came up before then. Did you know that's what the war in heaven was about? Lucifer said, I need to be equal in roles with Christ. And he gave a lot of evidence for it. He said, you know, you're getting ready to create this world. You're going to need angels down there, I'm sure. We need to be at the table. And I as the leader of the angels need to be part of this inner council. And I need to be equal. I don't know why this this authority thing is there. And then he stirred up the others to think they were being mistreated because of this type of framing that he gave the situation. But God believes in authority in families. If you read the Bible, he also believes in authority where? In the workplace. By the way, put everyone on an equal footing and roles in the workplace and you'll see corporations go down. In government as well. The Bible teaches the authority principle And many people have emotional distress because they're not satisfied with their role. They're always looking at other roles and seeing what they might be able to obtain to because of their role dissatisfaction. Are you happy with your role in life? Being satisfied with your role is crucially important to emotional wellness and thinking rational thoughts. Interestingly, the last part of that commandment has actually been proven by Harvard. They actually took a look at people who had a good relationship with their mother and father. In other words, they had been lovingly submissive to their authority. And they found something pretty dramatic. They found it was tied to longevity and in regards to... Um, mental and physical health as well. By the way, before we get into that study, confusion about inequality in roles. Why is there so much dissatisfaction when there seems to be inequality in roles or role access? I think one of the reasons is because we don't understand authority very well. We get this idea that authority equals what? Value. Value. And, you know, value is it should not be connected to authority. But this is how the world views authority. And, of course, when Christ was here, he had to try to teach his disciples, he that is greatest among you, let him be what? Let him be your servant. Those are the greatest among you. And then, of course, the world tends to pay those with higher authority more. And so somehow we somehow think that that is value. By the way, Weimar Institute doesn't do that as well. They recognize that as president of Weimar, I should make the least. And I actually make less than any person at Weimar Institute. Value is not authority, but authority is very important. Now, God does have an equality. He is no respecter of persons, the Bible says. But where does that equality lie? It means that no matter how great, how tall, how whatever your particular attributes, no matter how much talent, everyone is equally accountable to the law. There is no one, no matter how privileged, that can get around the law. We are all accountable under the law. And there's another part of God's equality that's very clear. Christ, as valuable as he is, would have died, we're told, for just one soul. So how much is that one soul worth? And it costs the life of Christ, that's an infinite value of every human being. And I took math here at Andrews University, and I still believe what I was taught, infinity is not greater than infinity. In other words, even though you're of infinite value, you're not more valuable than the person next to you. Nor are you less valuable than the person next to you. The value of a soul. But that doesn't mean that we're equal in roles or equal in potential access to roles. By the way, God, when he created the angels... When God created the angels, he created them with different roles. Some angels were taller than others. By the way, authority was designated by height in the angelic world when you actually look into it. Lucifer was the tallest of them all. They were given different types of roles and they were created individually in regards to those roles. Lucifer wasn't satisfied, however, to have the greatest authority there because he was looking at the authority above him. And he said, you know, I've got all this talent and ability. I should, have, I should have access, I should have access. I should have access to that role and I should be able to be equal in that role. And then he stirred up the dissatisfaction in regards to that and by the way let me just give you a little example I know this is a sanctified imagination but I'm just gonna give you a little example of what if Christ said okay all right, you're coming in on the inner council on the creation of this world you're gonna be there as we're planning this all out and then he realized Christ was going to be creating family units here with mothers and fathers and children and authority types of principles and then he also realizes how this is going to occur through this wonderful reproductive aspect of things as well as the sexual types of things and he would have said uh uh you're not doing that us angels can't do that this isn't what it's not fair this is not fair. You're not doing this. And then when Christ did illustrate this principle of His character by the creation of this world, the devil, after he raised up all of this politics and political movement, and told the angels, "Stick up for your rights. Stick up for them. You're going to keep them. You know, we're going to we're going to win this thing." And he still kind of has this belief he's going to win it, but he then attacked vehemently the very things that he would have said were unfair had he been in the council. So, for instance, it was very clear up in heaven who the Creator was because every angel was created individually, but now as a result of reproduction and this wonderful, ingenious creation of reproduction. You know, think about it. Even the, the staunch scientist that doesn't believe in God has no clue what's happening after those four and 16 cells form and all this migration to the nervous system. They can explain what's happening but they have no idea why. This embryology, this formation that's occurring in reproduction is the very thing that Lucifer utilized to cast doubt that there was ever a creator to begin with. And then in regards to the reproduction thing, how he has attacked that aspect of things that we'll get into here in a little bit. And so you can see a little bit of the glimpse of why Lucifer hates the principle of authority. The Harvard study I was getting into, 90% of those who don't have a good relationship with their mother and father have significant diseases by age 50. Serious diseases. If you didn't have a good relationship with your father, if you didn't have a good relationship with your mother, if you didn't have that loving, submissive authority, 9 out of 10 chance you're being, you're going to have and be diagnosed with a serious disease by the time you're 50. Now some people say well that seems like you know I had didn't have that good relationship and you know I don't have a disease yet am I absolutely doomed. No if you stick to God's principles there are 10 percent that didn't get diagnosed and by the way we deal a lot with that 10 percent of our, in our program By the way, the preponderance of people that come to our program are obviously in that 10%. They have a serious disease called major depression. And by the way, can major depression kill? It actually can kill. And there are deaths from it every day. Hundreds of deaths. Thousands if we look at it from a broader perspective. If you had a good relationship with one but not the other, you significantly improve your odds one out of two chance, coin flip, whether you're going to have a major disease by the time you're 50. And if you have a good relationship with both, it's down to 25%. One in four, much better odds. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy what? Days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And even though you're 50, maybe you can reach 50, you're still not equal in role to your parents who might be in their 70s or 80s. There is a role distinction there that's critically important even as we get older. By the way, some uh, studies were done not too long ago of children of involved fathers. This is something that I have a real um, interest in because fatherhood and loving involved fathers is becoming... almost rare in our society. It shouldn't be that way, but it's because of the devil's attack on the family and on authority. But studies have shown if you had an involved father in your life and if he was authoritative, you have a higher chance of being an A student, you have a higher IQ, you're a better problem solver, you're more likely to enjoy school and be engaged, you have higher economic educational achievement, You're better able to handle strange situations. You're more resilient in handling stress. You're more curious in exploring. You have less depression, improved life satisfaction. In addition, you're able to tolerate frustrations more. You're actually more playful. You're more attentive when presented with a problem, and you have a superior ability to adapt better at managing your emotions, that means emotional intelligence goes up, superior problem-solving ability, greater ability to take initiative and have a greater internal locus of control. In other words, you recognize your responsibility instead of blaming the world for things. You have more self-control and less impulsivity and more self-worth, recognizing the value of each individual as well as yourself. You're more likely to succeed in work you're more dependable, you're more trusting, you're friendlier, more mentally healthy, more socially accepted, more popular and well-liked, and more pro-social sibling interactions. In addition, you're able to solve conflicts by yourself rather than seeking for assistance in many cases, fewer negative emotional reactions during play with your peers, higher conformity to rules, not less conformity, you have much more greater chance of long-term successful marriage and have more long-term close friends and higher empathy for others as well as higher moral values. And I think, you know, it didn't get cut off there. You can see um, the review article that looked at a lot of that for the reference there. Notice this, 80% less likely to ever go to jail if you have a loving, involved father that you're growing up with. 75% less likely to become an unwed parent. Those are dramatic statistics. We're not talking about 5% difference, 10% difference. These are dramatic differences. Better physical health, less drug use, less stealing, less acting out, less disruptive behavior, less lying, less suicide, and we mentioned the GPA and IQ. What a difference it makes when we follow god's principles in regards to authority loving involved authority on those that are that are the authoritative figures but also loving submission afterwards good relationships and being respectful with loving submission to authority actually avoids a cognitive distortion Uh, that Lucifer was actually the first to violate this principle. We talked about a um, you know, commandment number one, Lucifer was also the first. Commandment number one, the principle behind it for those that weren't there was priority, having our priorities straight. Who is number one? Lucifer decided that he really should be number one. Uh, and uh, this is how it all violated. But the first of the six commandments also is something that Lucifer violated. Why did he have this interest in being equal in authority and roles to Christ? One of the reasons was not only the violation of the first commandment, but also the violation of this cognitive distortion, which is present in virtually anybody who violates this commandment. And it's called the cognitive distortion of mind reading. Lucifer thought he could read the mind of Christ. And he thought, Christ doesn't want me to be equal. I should be equal. But he doesn't want me to be equal because he wants to be the ultimate authority. And he is the one wanting power. Christ was not that way at all he was the authority because god put him there and also he was the one best to have that authority we put lucifer in that position guess who it's going to adversely affect it's going to not only adversely affect all those under lucifer it's going to adversely affect lucifer And Christ knew that. And this is why it was so amazing to the fallen and unfallen angels because of this argument that Christ is trying to hold on to power when Christ came as a little babe and was now subject to a mom and a dad that was faulty. But yet, he had to be submissive to that authority. Watch out in mind reading those that have authority over you. Sometimes you might be right, but there are a lot of times you're wrong because you don't have the perspective and labeling them with traits that they don't have is going to be deadly to yourself and others. And often in a family relationship, a mother and a father are putting these rules of accountability down because they really love the children. But the children get the idea, those people don't have perspective. They don't realize I could actually enjoy life more if I violated their principles. I'm going to ignore them, I'm going to go forward. And then problems start to develop because they were mind-reading their parents. Those with the highest loving authority do not give up their authority, but they are actually ready to give up their life For those under them. Because they view those that they have authority over as actually more valuable than themselves. In the patriarchal society, the loving patriarchs were that way. The patriarchs, although they had the authority, when there were threats to the family, they were always willing to lay down their life first because they saw the mother is more valuable than them. And they saw the children as more valuable. And so those were the protected layers. And Christ himself demonstrated this. When we were in trouble, when we were going to be eternally lost, he gave up his life to save us. He actually viewed us in a way as more valuable. The sixth commandment. What does it say? Thou shalt not kill. What's the principle behind this one? This one's not so complex. What would be the one word principle? The one word principle that God is saying that he puts on a very high priority list is life. God is not only the creator of life, he also wants us to do everything we can to cooperate with him with sustaining it and making it more abundant. And you know, I've been confused sometimes about Christians who are against the health message. It's kind of like, wait a minute, this will actually preserve life? It will actually make it more abundant? How can we be against health and state that we're Christians when God is such, honors life so deeply. Now, in our, I'll just tell you, we run mental health programs for the seriously mentally ill. And as mentioned this morning, we have lots of people that want to end their life that come to our program. And sometimes I'll ask them so, why is it that you haven't ended your life? What has kept you from this? And often they will say, because the commandment, thou shalt not kill. And I realize that if I kill myself, I'm not going to be able to ask for forgiveness for it afterwards. (laughs) Now, I don't try to talk them out of that line of reasoning. But could we actually be committing suicide with our fork? In other words, it's not, you know, putting the gun to our head or hanging ourselves or whatever, but it's because of what we're putting into our bodies and what we're doing with our bodies. What we eat or don't eat is related to our quality of life and how long we live. That is abundantly clear. Violation of health principles can not only be killing ourselves, but if we encourage this violation, who are we actually accountable for killing? Actually others. By the way, the fortune teller error that most people violate when they violate this principle of of life, or I should say the cognitive distortion is called fortune teller error. And what we have found out is human beings are very poor predictors of the future. And they have this fortune teller error that I think I can get by with this and I think I can get by with that. And I don't think anything bad's gonna happen with this or that. And then they find out too late. In fact, I was just with a person this last weekend who said, Dr. Nedley, I wish I would have listened to you years ago. I realize that if I knew I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. And he's in dialysis every other day. It's just a kind of a terrible existence because he didn't think it was going to affect him. And now it's very clear that it has. In the, great, in the great book Patriarchs and Prophets that goes through these commandments when they were stated by God expands this commandment this way. All acts of injustice that tend to shorten life, the spirit of hatred and revenge or the indulgence of any passion that leads to injurious acts towards others or cause us even to wish them harm for whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, a selfish neglect of doing what? Caring for the needy or suffering all self-indulgence or unnecessary deprivation or excessive labor that tends to injure health, all these are to a greater or less degree violations of the Sixth Commandment. And so when we have this in perspective and we have the priority of life, what a difference it can make to ourselves and so many others as well. The Seventh Commandment says this, Thou shalt not what? What's the principle behind this? What would be the one word principle you would choose? Faithfulness would be a good word. Purity would be a good word. I chose a word that is less popular in today's culture and society just to illustrate a point. But the seventh commandment is actually about being what? Exclusive. Exclusive. This is love to others. And love to others in regards to our intimacy, we are to be exclusive. Sexually transmitted diseases are an all-time high in the US and in the world. By the way, in the 1990s, I remember those years very well. I was a rather young physician in the early 90s. I remember the liberal academics, they even had some scholarly work that made it look like what they were saying was true, even though it was only a 2%, 3% difference in the select group they were looking at, said that if we just made pornography and condoms available, we could wipe out sexually transmitted disease and rape. And they did it they made it widely available and they made the condoms widely available and what has happened to sexually transmitted disease it's actually gone up what do you think has happened to rape it's gone up none of them have apologized however for what they told us stds not only decrease the quality of life they can kill and in some countries, they've been the leading cause of death for years. And in most countries, even in America, the top 10 cause of death. Interestingly, a lot of people don't realize that women don't have to get a pap smear if they've been monogamous for life who's someone who has also been monogamous for life because there's no risk whatsoever of cervical cancer. Cervical cancer is a sexually transmitted disease. 93% of the time it's the papillomavirus, 7% chlamydia. And these are diseases that kill young women. But what's even worse is what happens on the emotional side of life. Interestingly, this had not been published before until Dr. Ramirez and I published it on over 6,000 people. We presented it at the Journal of Sexual Medicine conference and the microphones lit up with all sorts of questions because it went against the myths that they had been taught. But those myths were not substantiated by science, but what we were showing was substantiated by science. It showed those who have sex outside of marriage. And by the way, we're going to have another follow-up study showing this is even true if you have sex with yourself. That's outside of marriage, by the way. Those who have sex outside of marriage have more depression, more anxiety, lower emotional intelligence, diminished ability to foresee consequences if they're males, lower testosterone levels, and they experience less pleasure in life. God was having us be intimately exclusive for our own good and generally also have shorter lives. We also did a follow-up study two years later. We presented this study that showed what can help us to not have sex outside of marriage. It becomes less likely the greater the frequency of your devotional life. If you're having daily engaged devotions. In fact, I was just talking to someone yesterday. They had a wonderful son-in-law and daughter. The son-in-law was just a great person in so many regards and was attracting others to the Lord. But he got busy in life and quit his devotional life. And you know, first time you miss a devotion, doesn't seem like there's any consequences, but there can be consequences eventually. And then pretty soon, he was looking around and he experienced that sex outside of marriage and now is in deep trouble, emotionally, physically, family, every other way. The more frequent reading of Proverbs, it should say, or scripture significantly decreases the risk of falling for sex outside of marriage studies show. University of Utah published this study just last year. Americans who have only slept with their spouses are most likely to report being in a very happy marriage. And this is true even today. Lowest odds of marital happiness belong to those who have had six or more sexual partners in their lives. Contrary to conventional wisdom, when it comes to sex, what do the authors say? Less experience is better, at least for the marriage. You know, uh, in the last program we had, we had a young man from UCLA and he was a freshman at UCLA and began to have a lot of emotional problems and ended up being referred to our program. But this was something that he was struggling with in regards to all of the access. And you know, he had been taught the myth that if you experiment, you'll be better off in your marriage relationship and you'll be better at doing this than that. We actually showed him this study. He was stunned by it. He said, you know, I had no idea Women and men with zero or one previous sex partners before marriage were also least likely to what? Divorce. In fact, they mentioned that if a man and a woman come together for marriage and have never had sexual relations until their marriage, they called those men and women divorce-proof couples. (laughs) And then they went into why that's the case and even some of the reasons behind it. Uh, which we won't get into. Women or men with 10 or more, of course, most likely to divorce. But how? what percent of new brides or grooms were virgins? In 2010, it was 5%, and now it's even less. This executive limitation that God put on us was for our good. Commitment to intimately exclusive avoids a cognitive distortion called emotional reasoning. This is a big one. Emotional reasoning says, I feel like a dud, therefore I am a dud. I feel overwhelmed and helpless, thus my problems are impossible to solve. You believe because you're feeling something that it must be true. And emotional reasoning also is one of the reasons why people get into addictions and things they know they shouldn't be doing. This is the cognitive distortion behind it. But when I was a young teenager, the number one hit song was You Light Up My Life. Do you remember that song? I'm sure many of you could sing it. But as it's talking about this, You Light Up My Life, it's all about the romance. It's all about the relationships. It's all about, of course, sex is being alluded to it there. But the final phrase before the song quits is this deceptive phrase. It can't be wrong when it what? Feels so, right. Feels so right. That's emotional reasoning. And it is a severe distortion that will get you into problems. Jonathan Martinson says, feelings are much like waves. We can't stop them from coming, but we can choose which one to surf. And Thomas Jefferson says, Don't bite at the bait of pleasure until you are sure there is no hook beneath. (laughs) That's combating emotional reasoning, and that will result in far more physical and emotional health. By the way, studies have shown if marital conflict is high, fathers have a much more difficult time being involved with their children, which weakens the father child relationship. These commandments are connected. In other words, marital conflict can be high because of this aspect of things and then fathers are going to be disconnected with their children which doesn't allow those children to have a loving, authoritative father in their life and it robs them. The Eighth Commandment. This one may be not so intuitive. It says, thou shalt not steal but what's the one word principle behind it? What is God trying to tell us in this aspect of stealing? You know, when I first was, go- was meditating upon the law this way, what's the reason for this limitation? I thought, well, God is respecting the true and rightful owners. This is about ownership. And yes, God does believe in ownership. God respects true and rightful owners. But that's not the one-word principle behind this commandment. By the way, there's all kinds of theft these days, including identity theft. These are all violations of this principle that's there. Those who steal have been shown, documented, to have less happy lives, and there's some evidence that they also live shorter lives. But, you know, let's take a look at this. In regards to ownership in this world, who actually is the rightful owner? I mean, he created it. He provided every resource. You know, this all came from him. And by the way, when we think we're owning something, I mean, who was the one that who was the creator? Who was the one that provided the resource? We need to recognize that we're just stewards in this process. But God wants true owners to illustrate his loving principle of generosity that's why he has made us owners because when we actually have control in the stewardship of something and yes we might have earned it and worked for it and all of that sort of thing but when it's truly ours we can give it to others as an act of generosity and illustrate his loving of others we can't be generous however when we're not the possessor And that's why God hates stealing. Because it destroys generosity on both parties' part. So it must be rightfully yours first. But if it is yours, but you choose to give it to someone else or others, you are indeed illustrating God's principle. And what does this principle avoid? It avoids the cognitive distortion called personalization. And so much personalization has to do over finances. We think... The differences in finances, we tend to personalize and either get, you know, very jealous and envious of others and those that have it think that they're better than others, all of that personalization. By the way, that's a big cognitive distortion. I wish we had time to go into more of the implications of personalization. But it is one that will destroy you emotionally. The ninth commandment. Thou shalt not what? bear false witness this one's a little more simple what's the one word principle? the one word principle that God is illustrating he doesn't want us to lie that's the lie part but why doesn't he want us to lie? he believes in truth the word I used was honesty and of course we need to tell ourselves the truth first Psalm 15 tells us those are the ones that are going to be ultimately successful. First, we have to tell ourselves the truth, and then we need to tell each other the truth. Be transparent and genuine. The Bible says the truth will what? Will set you free. And that's what secular science has shown. If we can get rid of these irrational thoughts and replace them with rational thoughts to get rid of these ten distortions, we are going to be emotionally healthy and free. And there's definitely more emotional health and higher emotional intelligence in those that think and tell the truth consistently. By the way, in our program, we just ended one on Monday, and you know when we end, we, of course, we've trained them what to do in regards to reentry, and the reentry portion of things they're a little concerned because they're going back to the very environment that caused their mental illness. They're feeling a lot better now. They're doing a lot better. They're checking their thoughts. They're getting rid of their distortions. They're thinking true and accurate thoughts. They're on an exercise plan. They're getting the good diet, all of those things. And it reminded me, in fact, I told this group this. I said, you know, when we're getting ready to leave, it reminds me a little bit when Christ was getting ready to leave the, this world. And he told his apostles, the one who had been closest to them, one of the saddest statements made in all scripture. He said, I wish I could tell you more truths. There's a lot more truths I could reveal to you. I wish I could do that. But you're not ready for it. And I thought, when I read that the first time I thought those scoundrel apostles how much more truth would I know if those guys would have been ready for it (laughs) you know it's not there in the Bible but then after that he said something that was very compassionate he says when I leave I'm going to send you what the comforter and he will lead you into all truth. That means some of the truth that he wasn't able to to share with them because they weren't ready for it yet. You know, we have to share truth sometimes in succession. And by the way, the book Desire of Ages says this, quoting from the Bible, when he, the spirit of truth has come, said Jesus, he will guide you into what? All truth. The comforter is called the spirit of truth. His work is to define and maintain the truth. He first dwells in the heart as the spirit of truth and thus he becomes the comforter. This world is looking for the psychological good life. They're looking for comfort and happiness, but they don't realize it comes through thinking true and accurate thoughts, moment by moment, day by day. And they also don't realize that the Holy Spirit is ready to help them in this endeavor if they would open their hearts and minds to Him. There is comfort and peace in the truth, but no real peace or comfort can be found in falsehood. She goes on to say it is through false theories and traditions that Satan gains his power over the mind. How does Satan gain his power over the mind? False what? False theories, false traditions. By directing men to what type of standards? false standards, he misshapes the character. Through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit speaks to the mind and impresses truth upon the heart. So how can the Holy Spirit have access? Through what? Scriptures. And that's why I left them with the daily devotional exercise of reading the word and opening your heart up to the spirit because they can get into more and more truth even though they're leaving us after that 10-day program. Thus, he exposes error and expels it from the soul. It is by the spirit of truth working through the word of God that Christ subdues his chosen people to himself. And that word he has left for you and me every day to feast on. If we're completely honest in heart, it will avoid another cognitive distortion called overgeneralization that is so common in our society today. This is where there appears to be truth there, but it's using limited factual evidence to support a belief that actually is not true because it's limited factual evidence. And it will get into wrong decision-making, wrong emotions, and other problems. The final commandment, we're here. The 10th commandment is an interesting one because it's not about what we're doing. Thou shalt not what? Thou shalt not covet. Now, some people have erroneously stated that the 10 commandments were put in place kind of from the laws of the land because they mirror a lot of laws of lands of different nations. I can tell you that that's one of the reasons why I can tell you that's not true is no one has ever discovered a law of any nation or land that has this law in it. It's not on any books anywhere. It's God's law though and it's there for a reason. What's the reason? Let's meditate on it. Why does he not want us to covet? when we're coveting we are showing that we are dissatisfied and what does God want us to be? He wants us to be satisfied He wants to be satisfied and that's why He is so interested in our thoughts it's not just our behaviors that will produce satisfaction this is about what we're thinking and this is why God is interested in what we're thinking by the way, did you realize that there are billions of dollars spent every year in this country to try to get you to covet? <laughs> you know, in fact, to these commercials that are, that are put forward and things like that, I've even talked to the commercial producers. They all center around the limbic system. They're trying to get your emotions part to overrule your frontal lobe in trying to get you to covet. They're trying to really imbalance your brain and so they really stimulate the limbic system. Why are they trying to get you to covet? Because they're coveting and they can't get what they're coveting unless you covet first. (laughs) It's a vicious system. God wants us to be satisfied in our thoughts. By the way, happiness itself has been associated with better mental and physical health. Paul was one of the examples that had learned the principles of being satisfied. He said, I have learned whatever state I am there with to be what? To be content. One of the founders of our country said something about this as well. He said, content makes poor individuals what? Rich. If you're poor and if you want to be rich, this is a get rich scheme that works quick. <laughs> but then he also says this, discontent makes what? Rich individuals, poor. I remember the words that Rockefeller said when his underling said, Mr. Rockefeller, how much more do you need until you're satisfied? Do you remember what he said? Just a little bit more. (laughs) But after he got that just a little bit more, he was still dissatisfied. This avoids the cognitive distortion called all or nothing thinking. And when we are coveting, we're actually participating in... This is kind of an extremist distortion, but it actually is an extremist distortion when we look at it. all or nothing thinking. Well, God's law teaches us to love. And it also helps to live emotionally stable lives that are longer and stronger. Why not follow God's plan for your life? He said, love... The Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And thy what? Thy neighbor is thyself. His law teaches us also how to truly love each other. If we follow his law and follow the principles behind it, it will help tremendously in overcoming all ten of those distortions. Love to God, love to mankind. The verse you heard first today in the scripture reading shows us that God is trustworthy because right before he spoke these commandments, he said, I am the Lord that brought you out of what? Bondage. This is how we're brought out of bondage. And I believe he's still in the business of doing this today. Are you in bondage of any kind? Do you know of anyone else that's in bondage of any kind? Why not respond to the one who can enter your world with healing and with hope? Our closing song today is actually written by someone who went through our program. And it's written to the words of onward Christian soldiers. By the way, uh, you don't need to turn to that because we're gonna have different words on the screen. But if you were to turn to that hymn and you were someone who was just visiting for the first time and maybe of the Muslim faith, you might actually think this is not good because it looks like it's crusades. It looks like it's kind of the physical battle and those type of things. They don't recognize what it's symbolic of. But the greatest battle we fight is not against each other. Who is the greatest, What is the greatest battle we fight? It's against ourself, and so this word, "Onward Christian," this um, title, "Onward Christian Soldiers," is put into the battle against ourself and how to obtain victory. And uh, why don't we stand as we sing? Um, and uh, Joe will play this. "Onward Christian Soldiers." <laughs> afternoon program will continue at 2.30. You're welcome to stay for lunch. We have it right there in the family center. And we will continue with nutrition in the brain at 2.30, uh, followed by what to do about the rapid rise in dementia and Alzheimer's following. The kids program registration will be downstairs. If you're bringing your kids this afternoon, you can take them down for registration, and that program begins at 2.30 as well and i will ask dr nedley to include in his benediction a blessing for the food and if you're eating with us today you can go straight to the line when you go into the family center thank you father in heaven we thank you for the love you had for each of us that you were willing to die if it was just us that was an error we thank you for your loving principles that are illustrated through your commandments. And we now pray that we might more heartily endorse these principles and on a daily basis open our hearts to you so that you may fill us with this self-sacrificing love that on the surface appears to be love that will get us into worse feelings but how science has actually revealed that by endorsing these principles, we actually live emotionally more stable and stronger lives. And we thank you for pointing out these laws to us and your principles. And we now pray a blessing upon this food. May it strengthen and nourish our bodies so that we may better serve you in the week to come. In Jesus' name, amen.